Hello folks and welcome to another edition of Variable Depositlet Ensemble Projects, a podcast about working musicians and how they do it. We've got a wonderful show in store for you today, as always. The entire podcast from interview to upload is taking place on April 30th, 2020, today. This wants to be my final show of the season, so to speak. May is a month where the busy jobbing season for freelance musicians kicks in. And the last week of May and the first week of June, my wife and I were planning a trip to Budapest for a trip down the Danube. Well, obviously, with the pandemic pinning everyone down, all of my freelance work vaporized almost completely. No weddings, corporate events, or even jazz club work for me for an indefinite period of time. So rather than make this the finish of my season, and there was going to be a two-month break, I'm going to keep things going, though I am going to do a few non-interview segment shows. Uh, I have a couple of tribute shows I want to do for unsung heroes who are no longer with us, but have left a legacy worthy of remembering. I also want to do a show on some of the amazing virtual band tracks that I've been involved with. So I am going to take a two-week break as a sort of end-of-season thing, as opposed to the original two-month break. I'm doing another quarantine big band recording with the Shout Section Big Band. This is going to be amazing. Another original arrangement by John Dorhauer. I'm also doing a virtual band project with the uh, brilliant Christophe Violande. I think that's how you say it. Christophe Violande from Paris. So amazingly enough, even though my jobbing is gone, I'm still doing a lot of artistic playing. And I do have to be grateful for that. So folks, thanks for sticking with me. Before we continue, I want to pay my usual homage to the companies I endorse. As always, I play wedge brass mouthpieces from bass trumpet to piccolo trumpet. These unique mouthpieces are designed and manufactured by Dave Harrison of British Columbia. The totally unique rims are incredibly comfortable and really help with range, endurance, and flexibility. For more info, contact Dave at www.wedgemouthpiece.com. I also play guts and trumpets, again from bass trumpet to piccolo trumpet. These wonderful horns are made right in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and have the best valves in the business. They're guaranteed for life. Also, for pro horns, they are very, very favorably priced. You get a lot of bang for your bucks. To find out more about Getson, go to www.getson.com or contact your local music store. Today's show is really a very interesting show. Many of my guests have touted the cruise ships industry as a good place for cutting one's teeth in professional music performance. Well, my guest today, Jordan Hoffman of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is the first musician I've chatted with who has gone the military band route. And this is also a very valid way of getting started in the business. And Jordan really sheds a lot of light on that in our conversation today. Jordan has also developed a thriving online trumpet teaching business that is most impressive. I'll let Jordan tell his story, but first let's hear him play a little bit. The original name of this podcast was Duets from the Trenches, and my guest joined me for a duet. Well, Jordan actually played a crazy duet with me called Who's Groove. This is from the Buddy Brisboy Lenny Niehaus Screaming Jazz Duet book. So we're going to listen to that duet with Jordan playing first trumpet. 
I'll then follow that up with a lovely Ellington ballad featuring Jordan in the completely contrasting mellow environment. We'll also hear a crazy collaborative thing he did with me later on in the show. For now, let's take a few minutes to listen to Jordan's musicianship. Okay, folks, uh, I am uh, on Zoom 
today. Uh, I'm a, uh, with my guest, uh, Jordan Hoffman, trumpet player and uh, uh, trumpet instructor extraordinaire from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Jordan, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Nick. It's really a pleasure to be on here with you. Nick Drozdoff, the man who broke the wine glass. <laughs> Whew. Man, I've been watching you since I was a little kid. So for like two years now. <laughs> <laughs> I, Seriously, I'm, I have watched a lot of your videos. Awesome I almost, thanks, man. I almost, <laughs> almost don't know what to say, but thank you. I do appreciate that. It's, it's really kind of fascinating following your work online. I do have to ask you a question. I mean, this is sort of on the tip of everybody's tongue right thank now. You. How you how you doing up there, uh, hanging in there with uh, uh, global Armageddon <laughs> going on with this pandemic? Uh, uh, I'm assuming they're all social distancing up in South Dakota, but it's not as populous to say to say Illinois or New York. That is true. Yeah, we are definitely social distancing uh, and everything. We are keeping keeping our distance from each other. And also, it's kind of nice because uh, we're very polite Midwesterners. So <laughs> <laughs> we kind of do this naturally a little bit. So it's, you know, I expect that it's a big like change of pace if you live in New York City, you know, or even where you're at in Chicago, I'm, I'm sure that that's kind of a, a big change in your normal everyday life. It's like here, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a change, but at the same time, I think it's not quite as drastic. And to be honest with you, for me, for me myself, it's like um, I'm here at the house most of the time uh, teaching lessons, the only time that I really get out is for gigs. You know, it's like when I got a gig, when I've got to go downtown or, or when I've got to go to the Wells Fargo uh, theater or anything like that, then I've got to head out. But for the most part, it's like my regular daily life has been uh, just right here since I work from home. Oh, that's interesting. And, and, you know, and good for you. I think that's a, uh, that's something we're certainly going to be circling back to in a few minutes here. Okay. I always like to kind of start off right. with some general questions about uh, your experience as a musician. Uh, Jordan, you know, how did you decide to make music your life's work? When did it hit you that this is something that was going to be a defining feature uh, of your experience? Man, that's a great question. Poof. Well, when I was born, um, <laughs> man, man, you could go back a long ways, and I think just about all of us could, all of us trumpet geeks, you know. My dad played the horn. My dad, uh, he was he was a pretty darn good trumpet player. He had a, oh, was it a full ride to whatever college he went to on trumpet? Or maybe it was just a, a pretty good scholarship, but whatever, in either case, he was an avid trumpet player, and he practiced, and he would play in church and do several different things. I mean, he wasn't a professional player, but he was a, a pretty serious, you know, hobbyist amateur. So I heard him playing all the time. I admired my dad, you know, and I really liked what he was doing. And when I saw him play in church, especially, it was like, man, he's up there, you know, in front of three, four, five hundred people. And he's playing, and I just thought to myself, that is so cool. I'd love to do the same thing. So I think it might have sort of spanned and sort of grown from, uh, you know, me seeing my dad do that. I practiced a lot <laughs> in high school. I, I yeah. practiced a lot. I'm sure that's true for a lot of the guys who, uh, who are in the scene today. Senior year, I auditioned for the 147th Army Band of South Dakota. And yeah, I made it in. You know, I, I didn't know if I would make it. I was first chair all-state band for South Dakota my senior year, but 
as you know, if the high school world doesn't mean anything compared to the real world. So you always kind of <laughs> wonder. So thankfully, I made it in to the 147th Army Band. It was a real blessing. In short, it shipped me off to basic training. I went through basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, just like thousands of other soldiers did. Then came back here to the States, well, to my state, South Dakota, uh, and started drilling in Mitchell, South Dakota, which is about an hour away uh, from Sioux Falls, where I live. That's been a really good part-time job. Really good. Because yeah. it's the kind of thing like one weekend a month, I get to play music uh, for the Army with the Army, have a whole lot of fun you know, doing what I love to do, get paid for it, get really good benefits with the Army. So that was probably one of the best decisions I ever made besides finding my wonderful, lovely wife and marrying her. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So... Let, let me yeah. jump in here. Kind of jumps right into a thicket that I wanted to discuss. So let's keep this train of thought going. Nice. I have had several yeah. guests on my show who've talked about uh, they're cutting their teeth in the cruise ship industry. And my own son cut his teeth yes. playing in the cruise ships. And, you know, obviously in the context of current events, the whole cruise ship industry is kind of under question anyway. But uh, I do know that you know, while it may have been a, a viable way for a lot of these younger musicians to get started, there were some challenges for them. You know, they're cooped up on a ship. Uh, sometimes uh, the hours can be a little bit difficult. And I guess the other issue is there, uh, there was a lot of uh, lip syncing going on playing the tracks, and that's less than desirable. You, on the other hand, chose to go with a military yes. band. You're the first guest I've had to um, consider doing this. How did you come to that decision to look at a military uh, band uh, as a way of starting your career as opposed to, say, cruise ships or going on the road with some uh, indie band or some sort? Yeah, that's a great question, Nick. Really, uh, I would say the reason that I went that route is because as much as I love music and I really wanted to make that the focus of my life and my career, I wanted to have a family as well. I really did. And I didn't want to leave that behind. It's like, man, I met my wife in high school. I was a, no, was I a freshman? I might've been a freshman in high school, <laughs> maybe a sophomore. Oh, wow. Either way, we were incredibly young. She was a trumpet player in the marching band and we just really hit it off well. And so it was the kind of thing where, we were unofficially, you know, dating for a few years and then we were officially dating and we just continued that relationship all the way from high school into college. And, and here we are today uh, with a couple of kids and everything. And so it's the kind of thing like I was really tempted by the cruise ships. I was also really tempted to join drum corps, uh, wow. you know, to do that kind of a thing. But man, it's like I thought about it and I'm like, if I do drum corps, that's going to cost $3,000 a summer and I won't be able to get a job. <sighs> that doesn't sound too great to me. And if I do the cruise ships, it's like I'm going to be so far away from her, mm -hmm. you know, and we won't be able to continue and I won't be able to get my education. So the more I thought about it, I was sitting there like, yeah, I think the guard, I think the National Guard Band is going to be the the right decision for me. At first, I would say that my biggest fear was like, oh man, that means I'm missing out. Like I'm missing out on the cruise ships or I'm missing out on this gig or that gig or these opportunities. And the really funny thing is that 
not only was I not missing out because the army band band was an awesome opportunity and we play a lot of really neat gigs, but also it gave me the flexibility to do whatever I wanted to do for the rest of the time during the month when I wasn't at drill. So I could go out and play other gigs and I could, uh, you know, search for students. And it's like it opened up a doorway for me to actually, you know, experience the freedom of being a musician when I wasn't there instead of locking me down to a full-time job where you're only doing one musician gig. All right. I, I, sure. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. Great, great thoughts here. Uh, I want to pick up on a couple of things. Uh, how mm-hmm. long, uh, first of all, I, I hate to sound like kind of a dumb civilian, but you know, uh, well too late. <laughs> but, uh, <in> <laughs> no, case, you won't. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> is this, um, uh, is this army or national guard? Is there a difference between army and national guard? Great question. Yeah. So army and national guard are kind of the same thing. It's, it's like this. It's like the army is the branch of the military I'm in. Like a guy could be in the Coast Guard or the Navy or the Marines or the Army uh, kind of a thing. He could be in any of the branches. But then since I'm National Guard, <clears throat> that means that I'm part-time instead of full-time kind of a thing. So instead of joining a unit and being out, 24 seven, you know, and, and doing exactly what the army wants me to do 100% of the time, I kind of have a little bit more luxury with it where in the meantime, I can do whatever I want when I'm not at drill. It's like I can rejoin the regular civilian life when I'm not there. And in fact, that is the majority of my life. I would say it's only about, you know, maybe 5% of my life that's in the military and when I'm on duty kind of a thing. The National Guard is just kind of the more fancy modern word for the militia. Okay. Right? So it's like you go back a couple hundred years and they have the uh, the militia, which is sort of the part-time army or the, hey, we're getting attacked by, uh, by, uh, by Britain, by England. The, <laughs> yeah. What do they yeah. say? Not the Swedish are coming. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, uh, we pick up our horns and we go to battle, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That brings a couple other questions to mind. Uh, how long is your commitment to the military going to be? Uh, is this, uh, before your uh, benefits say become vested, your retirement package becomes vested? It's like, I am currently signed into another six year contract. So when you sign up, most contracts for the army are six years total, meaning you go to basic training and then you go back to your unit and you drill with them for six years. And I guess I'm talking with the army national guard, but I think it does also apply in a very similar way to the army at large. So I signed up for six years initially. And then after six years, uh, my readiness NCO, my, uh, you know, non-commissioned officer came to me and he said, uh, Hey, do you want to put in another six years? And then I said, heck yes, absolutely do. And then he said, okay, well then let's wait to sign the paperwork for about another month here because I think we've got some good bonuses coming in. Oh, wow. And I said, hoorah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you get lucky and uh, they have a sign up bonus where it'll be 8,000, 10,000, 12,000. 
Uh, even a couple guys in the unit did get $20,000 for re-enlisting. For re it's a nice little bonus paycheck to keep going. So if you make it through to 20 years, that is sort of the typical default thing, well, smart way to do it is to make it through the 20 years to retirement because then you can start collecting your retirement check with the Army and that kind of pays off. There's two retirement plans currently with the Army. There's a balanced plan and then there's the old just standard plan, but I won't go into all that. It's it's a good job. If you can make it through 20 years and, and just go to drill once a month and two weeks out of the summer uh, or two weeks out of the year, then that will add up for the long run and the health insurance is really, really affordable. I think I'm paying $250 for my whole family, you know, per month. So it just kind of opens up the possibilities so you can do other things with your time. It's exactly. Yeah. Really fascinating. I mean, uh, lots of freelance musicians are, are in trouble right now that, you know, people who are living by virtue of the gig economy uh, are out of gigs and they have <laughs> virtually no safety in that. But you've uh, uh, walked into a very interesting way of working here that uh, I don't think a lot of people consider. So, you know, you're a freelance trumpet player uh, with a nice uh, little steady gig embedded as a military band trumpet player. Now, would you, def would you say that defines yes, absolutely. your... Uh, would you say that that is what defines your experience in the military? You are a military uh, band musician with the possibility that you might get called into active duty or something if a ruckus started somewhere. That's a really good summary, how you said it right there, Nick. I mean, okay. it really is like my job within the Army is I'm an Army bandsman. Uh, Army trumpet player, I play first trumpet in my band, principal chair. Besides that, it's like I'm in the Army in general. So there is a chance that I could get called up uh, to go do something. And I actually have volunteered for a lot of stateside missions, just little natural disasters that have happened. Like, oh, was it 2011 or 12 that my state had really, really severe flooding where the oh. rivers were just overflowing? Uh, so I volunteered to stack sandbags and do that and just, you know, watch over the people in Pierce, South Dakota and make sure that they had enough food, make sure that they had shelter, all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's as we call them, opportunities uh, <laughs> to exercise your normal army soldiering. There sure is. And you can, you can do the volunteer missions or you can be in a unit that's more involved in the regular everyday army. Me, for the most part, it's like I'm in the 147th army band and 99% of the time I am playing my horn or I am uh, practicing music uh, and doing all those awesome, wonderful things that I know we all love. <laughs> You've uh, spent your life in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and you've built a life as, sure a, have. as a freelance trumpet player professional in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, most people tend to think of freelance trumpet players as being, uh, you know, people who would live in New York, Chicago, L.A., maybe Nashville, you know, you know, great big urban areas. But like you mentioned earlier, Sioux Falls, South Dakota is kind of a Western, Midwestern uh, city slash town. How would you describe the experience? What's it feel like being kind of like the top dog on trumpet in uh, a smaller market like that? Do you find that you were able to stay busy and uh, artistically uh, enriched there? That's a really good question. 
I love how you said that in, in a way that um, it's, it's like people think that in the middle of the country, there's no opportunities or there can't be any good musicians in the middle of the country, can there? It's like, no, they're all on the coast, right? Well, it's like, hey, we have some fun in the middle of the country too. We really do. Yeah. And we've actually got some pretty good venues here. And it's like, not only do we have a good uh, music scene in Sioux Falls, I mean, it's not like San Francisco or anything extremely big, but at least it's present. Uh, And we do have some very, very talented musicians, maybe even of equal caliber to those on the coast, but they'll never be known. (laughs) If you know what I mean, they'll be local heroes, but uh, it's like the world will just never know them. Uh, unless they, you know, start uh, traveling a bit more or recording what they're doing here on more of a national capacity. I found a lot of satisfaction staying here in my small hometown. I really have. It was really tempting to move out uh, after college. My wife and I were really thinking about it. We absolutely were, but I absolutely don't regret staying here. To answer your question directly, I have plenty of gigs plenty of things to keep me busy. And it's really with the thought in mind that trumpet lessons and the gigs combined make things work. I do a lot of trumpet lessons. Uh, You know, I always have somewhere between 20 and 30 students uh, via local and Skype. So yeah, plenty busy with that. And these are not all half hour lessons either. These are hour long lessons. Maybe half of them are hour long lessons. That kind of feels like a full-time job right there. Yeah, and uh, it certainly yeah. pays the bills and everything. And then it's like on Fridays usually or with the other days. Well, what I do is I cram everybody into three days of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. For now, during coronavirus, I'll flip Fridays to Mondays once it's done uh, so that I can keep gigging on Fridays after coronavirus uh, is let up because that's what I was doing. It's like you teach three days and then you leave your weekends open for Friday night gigs and uh, weekends with the army. So there's plenty of time to fit everything in. It sounds like a, a really wonderful uh, way of life out there. I, uh, is there a big band scene? Are yeah. you playing in any big bands? With uh, Let me kind of t- uh, toss in some context for our listeners. Uh, they will have heard you play two tunes uh, <laughs> by the time we get to this part of our conversation. There will be a third one coming up in the middle of the show. Uh, you are a, nice. a, a lead trumpet player, a high note trumpet player. Uh, usually you'll find that kind of work in like rock bands or in big band jazz groups is there a big band scene out where you are okay great question this question was starting to get so exciting for me right when coronavirus hit i should say right before coronavirus hit i mean in the army band i play in the rock band so we are really playing some heavy hitting stuff, some really loud stuff, some really high stuff. I do all the solos too. That's where I get the real opportunity to, uh, you know, exercise my lead chops and everything on at least a monthly basis. So the Temptations came out here on their tour. Oh, yeah. They called up a local music store. One of my friends was working there, another trumpet player, great trumpet player, Paul Felbaum. Essentially, he gave them my number uh, and said, yeah, Jordan's your guy in town for lead playing. You know, I did that. I played lead for the Temptations, had a great time. That was really kind of the gig that kind of put me back into it, meaning I was laying low for a while. I was, I huh. was laying low for a few years intentionally. Because I just really, really, really wanted to build up my chops. 
like I really wanted to get better at what I was doing uh, before I jumped back into the scene like hardcore. I mean, because I'm only 28, you know, it's like I'm a young guy. Yeah. Uh, so after college, it's like I realized that there was some holes in my playing. It's like, ah, I'm still not great at this. I can play high notes, but I'm not very accurate. Uh, I can do this, but, you know, I need to improve my improvisation. I need to do this a little bit better. Let's work on tuning. So I really just buckled down and worked on that as hard as I could for a few years in private practice while I was also taking on students. Then it was only recently, like I want to say last September, that I got the Temptations gig and I, I, I allowed myself to sort of come back into the scene because I was still getting the occasional offer, but I was turning most of them down on purpose, uh, just saying, I'm really sorry, but not yet, not yet. You know, I, ah, there's just a few things that I want to figure out here. So then I finally said to myself last September when they called, it's like, okay, I'm not turning down the temptations. I'm not going to say no to them. These guys are too cool. Um, my girl talking about my girl. <laughs> Even I know it. Yeah. I'm only 28. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I know it. It's like everybody knows it in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I had to do that. And then, um, so that was the first kind of lead gig, you know, real powerhouse lead gig that came by, came through. And then I was getting all these little, little gigs from that that were branching off from the people that I met from that gig. And some of these guys I already knew locally. It's just I hadn't really reconnected with them in a few years. To swoop back around your initial question, Oh man, Jordan is long winded. Um, you know, I would answer it by saying this with the lead playing stuff, something really cool happened right before coronavirus hit. So I have another lead player friend in town. He is kind of like, I would almost call him, you know, the other guy in town, meaning there's not tons of lead players in town, there's a lot of soloists. There's a lot of jazz guys. There's a lot of, you know, jazz trumpet players, but there's not a ton of lead players specifically. So his name is Gavin, a real nice guy. I've played a few things with him before. Basically, he called me up like a month ago. Maybe it was a little more than a month ago. And he was kind of coughing and exasperated. And he said, Jordan, Jordan, I've got a big, big gig tomorrow. I've got a big thing happening, just this, this concert at this high school. You know, I'm playing the Rocky, the Rocky solo, Maynard Ferguson style. And I'm like, Gavin, you don't sound good, man. <laughs> you sound, you sound kind of sick. So he says, Jordan, I can't play it. You hear me? I can hardly breathe. I can hardly play a C in the staff, let alone two octaves up. And he said, uh, can you, uh, you know, uh, play the gig for me. Can you play uh, the Rocky theme? Gonna fly now for these high schoolers. It's like the opening for their show, and I was going to be the, uh, um, you know, uh, artist or the the guest artist or whatever for that. And it would have been really fun and everything. Um, I practiced my butt off. Not that I don't know the solo, because it's like I do know the solo, but I just really wanted to do well at it. So I was practicing it for several hours actually till about two in the morning and then uh, I go to bed wake up the next morning to his email uh, or maybe it was a text where he just says yeah I'm really sorry Jordan but the 
the band director just contacted me and said that the whole concert is called off because of coronavirus. Oh no. So ah, shucky darn. It got canceled. (laughs) Brush a brush with greatness. As you're telling me the story, Ah, right. It would have been really fun. As you're telling me a story, I'm thinking, (laughs) Hmm, he's sitting around till 2 a.m. Practicing the Mina Ferguson Rocky solo. Hmm. Talk about a patient and uh, indulgent wife and kids. Uh, you know, there's a little something to think about there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's really funny. It's like they are very, very patient. Oh my gosh. They are terribly patient with me. First of all, my wife was patient and is patient. And the fact that I literally will sometimes practice till midnight or two in the morning in the bedroom right next to our bedroom because that's my music room here. And she's told me it doesn't really bother her most of the time. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the internet thing. Um, Right now, uh, because of this whole uh, pandemic, everybody is doing all their music uh, in every way, shape, and form on the internet. I did a collaborative thing with the Shop Six and Big Man uh, about uh, about a month ago now. We were about to release a huge yes. uh, video collaborative thing on Mina Ferguson, Diane Schroes, um, uh, uh, Let's Fall in Love. That's uh, going to be going yes, on. Yes, can't wait year. to see it. So, one of the things that I've really noticed about your work is that you've made extremely successful use of the internet. You've got something like 4,580 <laughs> subscribers on YouTube, got over 1,300 followers on Instagram, yep, and another sure another 1,000, almost 1,100 followers on Facebook. So you've made quite a bit of a splash on uh, the internet with your work as a lead trumpet teacher. <clears throat> Tell us about your online uh, teaching. Uh, how has that developed? How do you do it? Uh, you know, tell us everything about your online trumpet teaching. Yeah, absolutely. To answer that, it's like, let's start at the end of college, right? It's like, I finished my college degree uh, as a music performance major, kind of a thing. That was great. You know, I learned learned a few things here or there. While I was in college, man, I, I was just working my butt off. I was practicing... Uh, not so much what they were telling me to practice. I was really practicing what I wanted to practice. And I was practicing the music that I knew I wanted to play in the future, uh, much more so than the music that they wanted me to play in the future kind of a thing. I really respect all, all shapes and forms of music. And I really love classical music. I just knew that for me personally, I just, I love the commercial playing too much. I, there's just something about having a rock band and a whole lineup of horns in front of it. That's just like, yes, you know, Bill Chase, um, Chicago, Earth, Wind and Fire, all this stuff. I mean, that's what I love. That's what really gets me going. And that's what I used to listen to when I was a kid, because my dad always was putting it on. He had thousands of records. And so he would just blast that music in the basement. My sister and I would dance to it and run around and everything. And we didn't know what we were listening to, but we loved it. And uh, I just continued to love it. And I, I never really wanted it to leave my life. I wanted that music to be in my life. Never wanted to leave it. And so that said, I love classical music. I love listening to orchestras. But 
it was really the commercial stuff that I liked in the rock bands with the horn lines and things of that nature. And, you know, jazz improvisation and, and jazz in, in general, I like a lot. I just generally lean a little bit more towards the modern stuff rather than sort of like the jazz purist type of, of looking at it kind of a thing. graduated college with a degree in music performance, but I still just didn't really feel fully ready to do what I wanted to do. Because as we were talking about a second ago, I really wanted to be into the uh, commercial scene. I didn't really want to, uh, to get an orchestral job. So what I did was we moved back to Sioux Falls, my wife and I, to our uh, hometown of Sioux Falls in 2015. We bought a house we got pregnant, so daddy found a new job. And it was not a good job, really. It was just a job, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe some people out there are just, you know, really, really trying to make a, a lifetime career out of working at the grocery store. That is great for them. Uh, that's, that's awesome if that's what your passion is. Just wasn't my thing was more of a stepping stone, but I knew that I needed to do something like that in order to get to where I needed to be. So it's like I kind of had a timeline in my head thinking, oh, I've got to do this, to do this, to do this, and it's really going to suck up front. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be fun. 
there's going to be some parts of it that are pretty ugly, but that's okay. I'm going to put a good face on it, do the best I can, work hard, and, and try to work towards our goals. Not only my goal, but our goals, like my wife and I. I'm starting to work at the grocery store, you know, full time, and I'm on night stock on purpose, 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Oh, wow. That's my shift five days a week. And it wasn't even a scheduled five days a week, which made it even harder. And so it was just a mess as far as like your sleep schedule, trying to get in a consistent pattern and actually become efficient and have a good sleep schedule. Impossible. (laughs) Not just not even possible, but it's, it was totally worth it. And, and we'll get to why it was worth it. What it allowed me to do was it allowed me to practice a little bit during the daytime, not much like 15 minutes. I mean, I was so busy, hardly any time to practice in that period, which is really sad because I almost consider myself and my career to be a practicer or I am a practicer. That's what I need to do. That's my job. I need to practice. What I do after that is I just take any gigs or opportunities that I want to take as I see fit after practice. But practicing is really our job as musicians. For the rest of my time while I was at home, I was building up my business and I was building up my online presence and I was starting to put out a few YouTube videos of just whatever I could uh, to kind of build up my channel and I was starting to take on students locally. That's been a good thing and the local students have been uh, you know, very good to me and their parents and, and that's a, a real blessing to have that. It's almost like I sort of maxed it out because there are quite a few other good teachers in town um, and they, you know, have 20 or 30 local students. So I wasn't able to get as many local students. Like there's a lot of young trumpet players, but there's a lot of good teachers too. So it's like they have most of the local students I've only ever been able to get five or six locally. And that's about as much as I can, uh, you know, get to come over here. The rest of them, uh, it's, it's like I just, I found a ton of people on Skype uh, and all throughout the world who do want to take lessons. But locally, it's actually harder just because there's so much competition locally. I'm building up my business here and I'm getting more and more students and everything. And eventually, I get enough students, Nick, to where it's like, holy cow, this is like equaling one day's worth of income. And Why don't talk- I drop a day at the, at the grocery store? Okay, I got you. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you have been building, uh, you said that uh, you were picking up more and more students and that it became a day of, uh, you were able to drop a day at the store. This was online teaching, right? Online instruction? You know what? Not at first. Oh. At first, that was all local students that allowed me to drop that first day. But then right after that, that's where I really started to work my online presence because I got a comment from some silly YouTube video that I did way back. Don't watch my old YouTube videos. Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> they are they are embarrassing. Oh, man, I'm glad you like them. But, you know, my silly old YouTube videos, somebody wrote a comment like, hey, Jordan, do you teach lessons over Skype? And I'm like, 
Um, yes, I do. I do teach lessons over Skype. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that, but that's kind of a good idea now, isn't it? I teach local lessons here. Why not do it through Skype? Why not give it a try? I started to set that up for this one person, like literally just this one person. And I didn't really expect it to expand or anything. He was just going to pay me through PayPal, you know, and we were going to do it that way. Okay. So then I go to work that night. I go to the grocery store that night and I tell my, my musician friend there uh, about what had just happened. And I'm down to four days now, by the way, uh, of work instead of five days at the grocery store. And so I tell Jamie, who is a uh, basically a British rock guitar player and a really cool guy. He came over here from England. And he was working. And he was such a funny guy. Dry sense of humor. Oh, yeah, I love this job. <laughs> Let me stay here forever. You know, so I told him about what happened. I'm like, hey, this kid wants to take Skype lessons. And so we were talking about it. We were talking about that and all things music all night long, because that's what me and Jamie did. It's like, there's not much to do and there's not much brain stimulation happening when you're just putting green beans on the shelf for nine hour shifts, right? <laughs> so what you do yeah. is you talk to the other musician in the room and you talk about everything music. And so we had this great relationship and, and he was what really got me through. And I'd, I'd like to think that maybe I helped him get through too, just because we had something to talk about. I told him about the kid and he's like, well, Jordan, you need a website. You really do. Do you have a website, Jordan? No. Well, you need one. I said, well, I can't build a website. How's that going to happen? Well, I'll build you one. I said, what? what? You build websites now too, Jamie? It's like, yes, I do. Can you make one for Trumpet? Yes, I can. I'll do it for you. It's like, how much, how much will I owe you? And he's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll just build it for you. It'll be great. So for the next seven months, we, I mean, just worked so hard. I mean, you're already working a full, full-time grocery store night shift and bleeding your eyeballs out from that work. And then you get home and you start recording all the videos for the website, or I was recording all the videos, I was putting all the plans together, and then I would email them off to him and he would actually start coding and building my website. Then we'd go back to work later that night and we'd talk about it. Oh, did you like that button I added? Oh yeah, I like that button you added. Oh, well, what do you want your website to be called? Oh, I'm thinking learnleadtrumpet.com kind of a thing. That one came pretty naturally. Before seven months was up, the website was built and it was completely ready to go. Then I started, you know, putting out more and more YouTube videos. I started to say, hey, I teach, I teach Skype lessons. If you guys want to learn, whoever wants to learn, you can uh, contact me through learnleytrumpet.com or you can email me at jhoftrumpeter at gmail.com is what I would say. Just a little bit here and there because I don't expect everyone to want it. I just wanted people to know that I'm there and I'm available for them if they did want lessons. Yeah, where yes. did you put this stuff? Where did you alert people uh, to your uh, growing career as an online team? <clears throat> Most of it was on YouTube at first. It was 99% on YouTube, huh. right? Like I have 250 videos up on YouTube now 
and it was it was ninety nine percent through YouTube. But then I I started to expand a little bit and share onto Facebook, okay. right? And Facebook was really interesting. And honestly, I've gotten a lot more lessons through Facebook now than I have through YouTube in the present day. Because what I found is it's like I've carved out this tiny little niche for myself. And I do mean tiny. It's like this is an incredibly focused niche. This is a very specific thing. Lead trumpet playing. You know, how to play lead, how to play the high notes, but how to actually play the lead charts as well. And so it's like on Facebook, through all the trumpet groups and just through normal trumpet traffic on Facebook, I started to get a lot of, uh, you know, older guys uh, messaging me like, hey, Jordan, I saw your video, da, da, da. And you got that young kid to squeak out a triple C. You think I have any hope? I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. There's hope for everybody. He's like, well, I've been trying to work on my high C for 30 years now. <laughs> I, I don't think you can do it, Jordan, but I'm just too curious not to set up a lesson with you. So can you do Thursday at 3.30? Sure can. Absolutely. So we meet, and this is just kind of like me imagining a stereotypical uh, student of mine. This is kind of like, we'll call him John. You know, <laughs> if yeah. I met John on Thursday, the first thing John will do, and I've had probably 100 Johns or more, the first thing John will do <laughs> is he'll say, Jordan, so, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. Oh, what's that? <laughs> Well, I mean, a hundred Johns, I mean, that could be uh, taken a different way, but you know, I won't go there. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh man. Okay. I see what you mean. So bills, all of my bills, you know, well, that sounds like money. We're really bad at picking names here today, Nick. That's all right. How about, um, how about Butch? There, there we go. go. Butch is a nice, like 65 year old man name. Kind of an hey. old codger, Butch. Watch it with that codger. So thing. it's like I've had a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm poking a, a sore spot, am I? <laughs> I qualify. Well, you can always fire back at this young hot shot, you know, who doesn't know anything kind of a thing. Oh, man. You're That's either right. too young or too old in life. There's nobody perfect. <laughs> so... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, right. So all the butches came to me and absolutely all the all these butches have come to me. And the first thing they do when the camera turns on for our Skype lesson is they just go. They usually just go and go for five or 10 minutes telling me about, oh, Jordan, thanks for coming on and doing this with me. But I just really don't think you're going to be able to uh, to change anything in my playing. I've been trying to do this for 30 years. I've been trying to do this for 40 years, Jordan. I've been trying to hit a high C for 50 years, Jordan. I just can't do it. My chops just weren't built for it. There's just no way. And I say, well, that's a real sad story, Butch. Let's try this. And then I show them. I demonstrate. Unfortunately, you can't see me right now. But what I do is I demonstrate a squeak for them. And I say, can you make this monkey face? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I say, can you make a monkey face, le face like this? Now can you push your tongue forward while squeezing your lips together? Can you do that, Butch? Can you, can you give that a try? Half of them are able to do that right off the bat. They just didn't realize they could, right? 
So my job is not necessarily to teach them. My job is just to show them that they already have the upper register. They just didn't know it, right? So then I pick up my horn and I'm like, oh, can you do that in the horn? They say, but, but, but Jordan, that's not a real note. That's, I'm Butch here and, and, and Butch knows all. He's been trying for 50 years to play high notes, but there's just no way to do it, Jordan. And, and that's not a real note. And what I say to Butch is usually something along the lines of, nope, it's not a real note right now. Come back to me in a, in a week. Then tell me what's happened to that squeak. Come back to me in a month. Come back to me in a year. Tell me if it's still a little squeak by that point. And so there's a lot more that we actually do in lessons because um, I was paraphrasing through all this, but essentially what I do is I teach them how to play the high note at first, which is, you know, just a real high squeak. It's a, it's a high note. It is absolutely a high note. It just isn't loud yet. Then I teach them how to put more air into it. And I do mean more air. And what that does is it opens up their aperture a little bit and it makes their notes a little bit louder and a little bit louder and a little bit louder until these squeaks are actually not squeaks anymore. They're loud trumpet high notes. Then we work on letting the, the high notes drop. We actually expand their range downward to connect it to everything else in their playing. We drop their range downward by practicing falling squeaks. And when you practice your falling squeaks, you eventually get a low C. Or you can at least play a lot lower than you could before, right? Using that setup. So I'll try to demonstrate again, I'll try to demonstrate a falling squeak for you. So now what you've done by practicing that falling squeak over and over just like that is that you have connected your registers, right? So now the last thing, uh, you know, just said simply is that a guy just needs to do a ton of lip flexibilities after that. Tons and tons of lip flexibilities and do them consistently with this new embouchure. And so you develop this new embouchure until eventually it's like you have a real good working lead trumpet player embouchure. And uh, I call it a lead trumpet player embouchure, but you can use it for everything. It's like, it's the only thing I use. I don't have an alternate embouchure. I've just, I've seen it work for too many people. You can learn how to do this. And even if you don't want to be Maynard Ferguson, maybe you just want a strong high C. Maybe you just want to be stronger in general so you can play through your band concert with the community band or whatever it is, that's what this embouchure can do for you. That's what the squeak technique can do for you. Yeah. Jordan, let me jump in here. Uh, the very, really interesting stuff. Yeah. And again, for our guests, not all of our guests are trumpet players, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm going to leave it in there because I think some of the trumpet, uh, uh, trumpet geek stuff is going to be fascinating for our guests, our listeners who are, <laughs> uh, are trumpet players. But you said something and hit on something that, I can't let get by. 
uh, you talked about the fact that you you find that some of these um, uh, older players who have managed to build some frustration into their experience come to you, and that you convince them that they already have it in them. Uh, it strikes me as a very positive way of um, teaching and thinking about trumpet and trumpet instruction. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I, I hope so. I hope it is a positive way. Yeah, I just, I honestly believe that, I mean, I might not be able to say everyone in the world can, can do this, but I think I could safely say that 99% of players out there can do this. And most people already possess the ability. They already can do it. They just don't realize that they can. I'm going to get you in and send you packing as quick as possible. I want you to have these today, if possible. I'm just cranking people in and out, in and out, in and out. And I see a lot of new faces because of that. It's like the goal is to put myself out of business with each individual player, meaning I want you to get in here and learn it so fast that you only need two, three, four lessons. And many times that's the case. So I suppose by trying to put myself out of business in that way, I've actually put myself in more business because word spreads and then people tell other people tell other people and I just, I can't keep up right now. I've got so many lessons right now, especially because of coronavirus, that I am, I am maxed out. I, I am up till one or two in the morning almost every night, uh, you know, just trying to catch up in life. And so that's a blessing, uh, definitely a blessing. And, and uh, I really have the people... Uh, that have come to me for lessons to thank for that. And I, I really appreciate them. And we establish these awesome relationships. A couple of last questions, because we're coming down to the end of the, uh, uh, a lot of time that I use for my podcast, uh, real quick, uh, Skype or okay. zoom. Uh, what do you think? Skype or zoom? Oh, right. I would use Skype. Now, I haven't fully explored Zoom. I mean, I've done it with a few students. We had some audio problems with Zoom. And maybe there's just some sort of a setting that I haven't discovered yet. But the problem was the input volume on the microphones kept moving on their own, up or down. We are musicians, and we're going to be having very loud sounds and then very quiet human voices going back and oh, forth. If there it. was some yeah. sort of an option for that, yeah, sort of an automatic game. But it doesn't work great in that regard. If you have a student who's sure. been, that's been a loyal student for quite a while, and um, and they are about to leave yeah. your studio for the last time, what would the parting <coughs> advice that you would want to impart to them as they embark on their career as professional musicians? It depends what they want, and it depends what their goals are. So I normally tailor everything I say to the individual because I just kind of realize that general advice is everywhere and it doesn't get us very far. It's like, what's really nice is when we have someone who can tell us something specific about how we're going to be able to reach our goals. Um, so for my regular, you know, like high school students, let's, let's put it in context with them. And what I would say to him is that you know, really put the practice time in now, not later. Because however busy you are when you're in high school and when you're a young person, you will be more and more and more and more busy as you go. 
So really what I would say to them on a practical level is, you know, practice hard right now, like really, really dig in. I am not a domestic, uh, a domestic musician. I'm more of a, take a soldier and take like the focus of a soldier, put it into a musician. And I kind of think that's sort of what I've become. Uh, just realizing that we can do a lot more than we think we can push your own boundaries of what you think you're capable of and you will go far. Well, Jordan, I really appreciate uh, the time you've spent with me today. And I can't thank you enough for uh, taking some time out of your obviously busy schedule uh, to to chat with me and to chat with my listeners about uh, the experiences (laughs) of uh, being a professional musician. And once again, before we go, um, what's that website? Where can people find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Nick. So that is learnleadtrumpet.com learnleadtrumpet.com or you can email me at jhofftrumpeter at gmail.com that's j-h-o-f-f-t-r-u-m-p-e-t-e-r at gmail.com yeah or I'm on Facebook I'm on Instagram Uh, I really do like to talk to people Uh, even if you don't uh, have the intentions of getting lessons. I love to just answer questions whenever I can. Oh, one last thing. One last thing. Do you endorse some equipment? What equipment do you endorse? I'm a callet performing artist. I play a callet trumpet over here. Um, so that is like after Jerry Callet, uh, Jerome Callet kind of a thing. The company is actually owned by Lee Adams now. Uh, great horns. Oh my goodness. And mouthpieces. Mouthpieces, GR mouthpieces. Uh, I endorse GR mouthpieces. You can measure it down to the absolute smallest measurement. I mean, and you know how to say these measurements far better than I do, since Nick is a scientist, uh, as everyone kind of knows. And it's like you can measure it down to just the micron, we'll say, uh, of exactly the shape that you want your mouthpiece to be in. Uh, you know, if you contact Brian Shriver or if you, uh, you know, go to the GR Facebook page, you can shoot them a message and say, hey, I want to take the playing test. Okay, Jordan, man, thanks so much for doing this today. Uh, we're going <laughs> to sign off now. I really appreciate you doing this. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate it. Okay, be safe. Once again, I want to thank Jordan Hoffman for chatting with me today. I found this experience to be extremely compelling and the idea of playing in a military band uh, is worthy of serious consideration for musicians looking into finding a way to develop a career in the 21st century. Well, that's it for this week's show. As I explained at the top, I'm taking a two-week break to finish up uh, several other projects. So I'll see you in about three weeks. In the meantime, be safe, be well, be kind. Don't stop the music. Peace.